Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary.org Hardcore Podcast coming your way. Episode 171, Steve Kuklo. I am Steve Schmee, and I'm joined by the Mwapsta from across the pond, the UK Iron Den. What's up, buddy? How you doing? All good in the hood. Let's hit this one and smash it at the ballpark. So Steve Kuklo, he's an IFBB pro bodybuilder. He has a long history of competitions under his belt. High finishes at Mr. Olympia. His nickname, King Snake, his peak stacks at his, when he was close to the high finish at Mr. Olympia, five foot 11, 280 pounds, around 5% body fat, big, big guy, lean guy, very hard physique. You guys can check out his pictures. Born in 1985, always worked as a firefighter. Spends his free time on his numerous business ventures where he personifies a bad boy image. So this one is going to be classified as another bad boy in our series of bad boys. There's definitely a lot of bad boys in the fitness industry. It does work in your favor when it comes to marketing. A lot of people are into that, but it can actually turn people off. So we're going to get into that little little talk later. We're going to get into yeah. the steroid use. We're going to get about, we're going to first talk about his early life. So let me start it off a little bit. I'll bring in Mobster. So born in Michigan, he spent his childhood active. He played football, hockey, baseball. And in Michigan, one of the sports that they play that they don't play in other parts of the country is hockey. And he was excellent at hockey. He also fell in love with fitness. He built a strong physique so he could be better at hockey. So the more you weight train, the more he realized he was going to be good at it. And he did find a little niche there and learn that he was gifted. So 18 years old, he competed at the 2004 MPC Capital City Classic team, finishing in third place. Over the next two years, he won teens national heavyweight along with MPC Michigan Bodybuilding State Championships. He also became a firefighter that helped him pay his bills and supplement his bodybuilding career. And here's a weird thing about it is his excellence in the gym actually played a huge role in making his firefighter job easier and not the other way around. So you can kind of look at it both ways, but that's that's something to think about because his coworkers, that was not the case with his coworkers necessarily. So let's talk about his pro bodybuilding career a little bit. So third place at NPC Nationals in 08 and 2010. Next year, he won. And that earned him this pro card. So now it was ready. Now he was ready to take things to the next level. In 2013, his first pro competition was the Europa Super Show Men's Open. He won it. And that qualified him to compete at Mr. Olympia. So step by step, he was on his way. His dream was to be on stage with the best bodybuilders in the world. He certainly had the genetics for it. He finished a very disappointing 14th place in 2013, but he did savor the experience. The next year, he won the Arnold Classic in Brazil, and that qualified him for Mr. Olympia again. This time, he finished in ninth place, which was a five-place improvement. So he kept getting better. He he needed a coach at this point. If he was ever going to reach his dream of winning the Mr. Olympia, he needed a coach. He won. He uh, brought in uh, one of the top coaches in the world, George Farah, who is a Lebanese bodybuilder and one of the brightest minds in the industry. So one of the things that Farah is known for is nutrition. So Farah is legendary when it comes to nutrition. If you're a pro bodybuilder at a high level, this is the guy that you definitely want to call. So that was Kuklo's weak point. 
And Flara's guidance helped Kuko go second place at the Texas Pro in 2015. So he took a break from bodybuilding for a couple of years to refresh, and he came back and he finished top 10 at the 2018 Mr. Olympia and then sixth in 2019. He also won the Indy Pro in 2019 and finished second at the 2021 Texas Pro. Third place showing at the Arnold Classic recently in 2021. So he's not done quite yet. And he should, we should see him in some more competition over the next few years. But he does have a lot of guys, though, that are younger than him that are coming on. So he's in his mid to late 30s now. So it'd be interesting to see if he can uh, keep improving. So, Mops, I'm going to bring you in. What are your thoughts on all this? All right, a couple of corrections there, Steve. I think he was, uh, let me think now, he's only just in the last year or so, up to, as you say, a couple of years ago, when, when you've got as far as you have. More recently, I believe he's taken, like Ronnie Coleman with the police, when uh, Ronnie stepped away, and he, essentially you had the Ronnie situation was that you could come back in and he was able to do that, and you become a reserve officer. What's happened with, I believe, Mr. Kuglo was that if you'd done a certain amount of time, which he had, even as you say, as a young bodybuilder to, to where he was now just a couple of years ago, he was able to take an early pension. So uh, something he did an interview with uh, his new coach, Honey Rambod, uh, and he's an Evergen athlete now, and they had a conversation which included the fact that he'd taken this pension, and, of course, in a way... Hanny had been um, nagging him, as we say here in the UK, to try and take it easy to help grow as a bodybuilder because most pro bodybuilders don't really do much physical activity. And there are times as a farmer when you're going to be incredibly physical. And he wanted him uh, to do uh, an office job. And finally, I believe he's taken the pension, which means he can step away. It's roughly two thirds of his income, similar to what we have here in the UK for certain services, specifically still the police here in the UK. I'm not sure if paramedics or firemen have quite the uh, pension that they used to here in the UK. Um, so yeah, that's that's where he is. It's with Rat Honey Rambod is his coach now, which we can get into. He's been, I believe, the first Evo Gym, which is Honey's uh, supplement company, the first sponsored athlete that they took on. Um, the fire thing. Let's get into the fire thing very quickly. We've got a bunch of guys here in the UK. Um, stuff that I've looked at myself when I was a young man leaving school, looking for jobs, etc. And in some ways. Being a fireman's kind of cool. And then what I mean by that is if you're not busy, if you're not out putting out fires, if you're not out rescuing people from burning buildings and doing all the crazy, fucked up, heroic shit that firemen have to do, you can be have the time to, to train on the premises. Most of them have a small gym, like a lot of police stations have a small gym, and it can be okay. But at the same time, and I believe you have a, a thing in the States which is even worse in terms of what we would call the shifts, in that typically a shift for a, an American firefighter, full-time American firefighter, is a 24-hour equivalent of three working days. And then I think you sometimes get a day or two days off and then you're back in. Now, to say that this screws with your lifestyle and training, and especially in Steve's case, being a professional bodybuilder, is, is an understatement. And more so if you are busy, if you are out fighting fires. You have a lot of, um, in California, for example, those forest fires when half the mountain's on fire, and those guys can be out there for a day and a half putting their stuff there. So it's not an easy job. You're either, it's all or nothing. It's either 100 miles an hour or not. And um, one thing that we can say, especially with this kind of situation, and again, use Ronnie Comer as another example, both these guys were or are very high level bodybuilders who were doing up until very recently towards the end of Steve's career, full time jobs. So there's an awful lot of amateur bodybuilders, never mind professional bodybuilders who think that they shouldn't be doing these kind of these jobs, this kind of work. And if nothing else, when we're going to get into the negatives as well as the positive, if nothing else, we could say that Steve's doing a full time job, a hard full time job or potentially very physical sometimes full-time job and dangerous uh, is something to be admired, Steve. Back to you. So let's get into his social media a little bit. Uh, he does have a modest social media following, uh, 250,000, which isn't a lot, but it's not that bad. Um, he also offers coaching, market supplements, and posts a lot of updates on his physique. Uh, so 
we can get into his uh, training. We're going to talk about a little bit about his marriage and the controversy around that. We have to touch on that a little bit because it, it did make waves recently. But why don't we talk a little yeah. bit first about his training nutrition? I'll talk about his nutrition, Mobster, and then you can talk about his training, and then we'll get into that. So uh, Kugel, he struggled with nutrition for many years. He hired George Farah, as I mentioned, um, to teach him what proper nutrition was all about. So, you know, his meals, it looks like chicken, fish, spinach, rice, chicken, oats, and eggs, just typical bodybuilder foods, whole ingredient, single ingredient foods. He also eats some fruit and nuts. Off season, he likes cheat meals, burgers, pizza, which helps him push his caloric intake up and gets his body weight close to 300 pounds. And during prep season, obviously, he'll eat much healthier. So we see that, you know, with pro bodybuilders a lot. They have, you know, in-season and they have off-seasons. And, you know, that's how it works. You know, in bodybuilding, in, in, in sports and fitness, it's not a linear transition, you know, transgression where you're constantly improving. I mean, look at Tom Brady in the NFL. Is Tom Brady, uh, you know, as good today physically as he was five years ago or 10 years ago? Of course not. You can argue mentally he's good, you know, I, he's he's really good but he also changed teams you know the past couple of years so that sent him back when he changed teams he had to kind of reboot things and he struggled a little bit his first year with with you know with with the new team so even in his case you sometimes you got to take a step back to go a step forward so you know in your in there's a lot of things that go into fitness and plus the thing is with 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 sports with fitness with industry you're fighting age so every year you get older, you're fighting it. Your resting heart rate, maximum heart rate changes. Your maximum heart rate, the, each year you age, you know, uh, drops by a point. So obviously, you know, him being in his late 30s, he's not going to be able to be as fast physically. He's not going to be able to have the type of endurance in the gym as he did when he was 20 or 25 he's not going to be able to recover from his workouts like he did as 2025 so it gets harder but the experience does pay off in your mind if you're able to learn from it so the fact that he was late getting on top of his nutrition may have cost him an opportunity to end up in the top five mr olympia in my opinion so he's got a lot of guys that are chasing uh, from from behind yeah, something I want to jump in here just on the nutrition stuff. And this is more of an advisory to our listeners as much as it is talking about Steve. I mean, what Steve just said is quite correct. They, they get in the nutrition sorted late may have actually, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a mistake. Uh, there's an argument which essentially says when you're younger, you can get away with more mistakes when it comes to nutrition. But when you're older uh, and you're maxing out your physique, what you need to do is be on point. And there's, there's no argument about this. When we've talked about genetically superior bodybuilders, and the one that springs to mind is kind of obvious, Dexter Jackson, with his ability, called the blade for a reason, because he used to get in ripped to fuck shape. Seriously, seriously good condition. And he wasn't doing if it fits your macros. He was on point with his nutrition. So the, the argument that maybe you think you can get away with this stuff because your genetics, well, maybe that's true. But if you don't, do the stupid stuff and you do do the proper food that you're supposed to eat you should see because of your genetics an even better condition an even better shape an even better response to training and, and so on and so forth one of the things that's worth pointing out and steve has covered what he's been eating there you hear this on a majority of podcasts when you were talking about top professional bodybuilders what they eat is kind of the same and that's because what they're eating works is it boring? Yeah. Is it not exciting? No, it's not exciting. It, it, but it works. Don't you guys can ask, and we do get asked this. Can I swap this? Can I swap that? You can do what the hell you like, guys. But look at what the top pros are doing. The guys with the best genetics, the greatest access to pharmaceutical PEDs, with the ability to train and get paid for it, and they're still eating the same boring food that the other guys eat. There's a reason for that. And they're not doing it because they want to or because they've joined the chicken and rice club. So, yeah, 
Steve's analogy just now is a good example again for Tom Brady to be as good as he is for as long as he's been, even if he's not the athlete that he was 10, 15 years ago, is because I guarantee you he's not eating pizza and having fast food. If anything, I would I would guess that his nutrition is even more on point than it's ever been to allow him to still perform at the level that he's still performing at and still be a superior kind of athlete. I'll get into the training now, Steve. Something you, you mentioned in the article I'll touch on as well. Kuklo's training is not, as we as I discussed in previous podcasts, anything miraculously or different or whatever else, using split routines and uh, again, drop sets, et cetera, et cetera, where, you know, you guys have done drop sets in the past. It, it, can't, it can fuck you up. There's an argument for hyperplasia with drop sets if you do uh, medium high reps and decent weight, moderate weight. And we're talking about 50 reps here sometimes. I've done this stuff in the past. I mean, as an example, I've done a leg workout back in the day, uh, which had me doing 50 rep pre-exhaust on leg extensions, 20 rep, 25 reps on on leg presses and stuff like that. Nearly tripping over as I walked across the gym. And then my my legs were sore within four hours. The workout finished at 12, my legs were sore at four o'clock. It's not something you can do on a regular basis. So again, when we're watching videos, when we're doing the research for these shows and we're seeing how the guys train, it has to be said, that's not necessarily how they're training all the time. Uh, Frequency, five to six times a week, typically one body part per workout. Again, nothing abnormal here. Something that Steve addresses in in the um, article is, uh, I I think you describe it, Steve, as a science monk's theory, was one of those things about feeding your muscles during a workout. And I'm in agreement with, with you. This It's one of those things, if it has any kind of semblance of truth to it in terms of does it work or doesn't it, it's a fractional response. It's also worth pointing out that we, a lot of top bodybuilders, of course, are using insulin. So again, the idea, for example, as suggested here, that during his workout, he's using BCAAs, glucose, and creatine between sets, supposedly to replenish the muscles as quickly as possible, as in literally during the workout. If there's a science aspect to it, it's one half of one half of 1%. Now, maybe as a top, top professional bodybuilder, that's what you're looking at. Guys, if you think having creatine during your workout when you're an average Joe and maybe mixing it with some kind of glucose or maltodextrin or fitaraga or something like this, and maybe five grams of branch chain of amino acids is going to put a quarter inch on your arms, where then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn that I can sell to you cheap. Because the reality of that situation is that most of you won't see any difference. And Steve and I have addressed this when we talk about nutrition online. Sometimes it's one of those things that's real simple. I've looked at the whole golden hour around training, what you should have before a workout, what you should have after a workout. And trust me, guys, what you have before two, three hours before is more important than what you have during a workout and what you, how quickly you get to eat after a workout isn't quite as overdone or overemphasized as it needs to be. I mean, honestly, Steve, I don't know about you. I've never been one of those guys that carry around a Tupperware tub and I'm probably one of the biggest guys on the forum. The simple fact of the matter is that you and I have been consistent in our training and our nutrition over time is what's got us to the size, the strength, and the progress that we've made. It's not been whether we got to sit down and have a protein meal within 20 minutes of a workout or immediately after the workout in the car in a car park or whatever. So yeah, that that this probably something that works for Steve, but honestly, I think it'd be one of those things that he could take out and he'd barely see any difference. And of course, as I say, you have to be aware, guys, that he's doing a lot of PEDs and potentially insulins being in there. And that might be the reason for this kind of nutrition rather than the majority of us. I mean, a good example, we've seen this on the forum. Guys that consume food too close to a worker or during a worker tend to, whether they like it or not, have stomach problems, which may well lead to them having their head down the toilet and spewing up that very expensive pre-workout or intra-workout nutrition that they've just bought and paid for. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you know, these these types of situations are, you know, very, very common where we have, you know, a lot of ups and downs with our training, with our nutrition and stuff. So I just want to be, 
you know, I just want to, I just want to be clear. Like you, you have to set a goal, but you have to set a realistic goal. Like, don't be like, I want to be like Steve Kuklo. I want to be almost 300 pounds and have a low, low body fat. I mean, if you don't have the genetics to do it, like he does, then you're not going to do it, obviously. So you can only be the best you can be. And that's a nice thing about weight training is no matter what you can improve and you can weight train. Um, there was a, I can remember, um, my weightlifting coach back in high school, he used to tell, you know, he was trying to get more people recruited to do weight training. He's like, look, anyone can do it. You know, it doesn't matter if you never weight trained before in your life, or you, you know, you've been weight training or you've been doing gymnastics or you're doing pushups or you played football or you played hockey or you played soccer, whatever you can, you can always just start weight training again. That's the beauty part of weight training. And we all come in different shapes and sizes. So, you know, to, to just point your finger at someone and say, yeah, you can't weight train. You're not, you're not good enough. You don't have the genetics. There's no such thing as not having the genetics just because you don't have the genetics to be a Mr. Olympia doesn't mean that you can't weight train. You still can't go on resistance training. You still can't go and get the benefits of weight training. So uh, weight training is, is really for, for everybody. It's not an inclusive thing for, and it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how good your or bad your genetics are. So it's definitely something to do for sure. Yeah. And, you know, and always, you know, remember what I, what we're telling you guys as well, it's, it's linear. It's, it's not linear. It's not, you're, you're never going to just improve forever and it's okay to not just improve every workout, you know, what are your goal is, is strength or size. It's just, it's just not going to happen. It doesn't have to happen. That's not how our bodies work. So, and in Kukula's case, you know, I can make the argument that he's, you know, today he's, you know, he's got better handle on his nutrition and training than he did five years ago, but he may not do as well today as he did, as he did be before he may not ever get back to being sixth place at Mr. Olympia as before. So, I mean, it's, it's all about your competition in, in these, um, in these competitions as well. And he has some really stiff competition. Um, I mean, I can name five, six guys right off the top of my head that he's not going to be able to beat, you know, next year, yeah. if he does compete at the Mr. Olympia. So get in that mobster and we'll talk about his controversies. Yeah. I'll go very quickly. Then one of the things I said in the pre-show to Steve, well, actually two things, one that just occurred to me is Steve, taking on a coach was a great thing for him and it probably gives us the condition that we saw a couple of years ago. The problem with, with that, of course, is we know that most of the top pros have also got a coach and if they didn't have one before, they've all got one now. So the advantage that he had in improving Zeke is something that they've all got. So you're back to kind of square one in that particular way. Steve's quite correct. Uh, our Steve, of course, not Mr. Kuklo, in that he probably has a better handle on his nutrition now probably because he's been working with his coaches and you can see that when they've given him good advice, what's worked, what hasn't worked and so on. And it's definitely one of those things that having another eye, an expert eye looking at you and seeing how your body responds and, you know, not Rambod doesn't blow smoke up your ass. Priscilla doesn't blow smoke up your ass. These guys tend to be quite a hardcore and very straightforward. You either look good or you don't and they tell you, and that's how they become good coaches and their athletes get better and better. Uh, the controversy, Steve. I mean, one of the things, and I won't, I'll let you do the specifics, but one of the points I made in my pre-show notes was don't post this stuff on Instagram. I mean, I'll let you say what the controversy is, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes of that before we talk his PEDs. Yeah, so this actually ties into PED. So let's talk about PEDs and yeah. how it led to this, because... As well, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know we'll kind of get into his specific issue and we see this a lot with with athletes because with athletes um women some women um tend to be more attractive to athletic muscle meathead types some women like skinny men some women like short some women like tall some women like tall dark and handsome the cliche it just depends some some women like bald men some women don't like bald men so women like different things but with athletes, it's 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 unique because a lot of women are drawn to athletes to the point where they you know athletes just melt their heart. So it's really we see this a lot with, with athletes that travel you know in in their uh, careers. Uh, they go on road trips a lot and they live a very promiscuous lifestyle. 
where they have sex with with many women to just throw themselves at, at you. And in this case with bodybuilding, bodybuilders are on lots of steroids. So we have, we see bodybuilders, they go get married. And what happens is during their marriage, there's a lot of temptation and a lot of women throw themselves at them. And it's hard to resist. Once you start going down that that road where you cheat once, then you're going to be like, well, I already cheated once. Let me cheat again. I, I cheated twice. Let me cheat again. So what happened with Kuklo is he being married to another bodybuilder, Amanda La- Latona. And um, there was a controversy that came up where she posted something on her social media about being betrayed. And she made note of a picture that has Kuklo with a stripper um yeah. and he's enjoying some type on of uh, instagram. yeah on instagram yeah. posting his pictures for his wife to see and it's not even the first time steve testosterone and wanting to fuck women we're not surprised that's yeah. fine the whole thing with the jock bodybuilders having women some women not all of them but some women screaming for how you look how handsome you are how virile you look how athletic you look. It's hardly a surprise. Hell, I've probably enjoyed something like that myself. And it's all dark and handsome thing, maybe. I'm tall, I'm dark. Handsome's up to the, the observer. But the thing is like, are we surprised that jock, jocks get the girl? Of course not. The problem is kind of twofold. I mean, Steve came across in a certain way, especially a few years ago, that there's a good guy being a paramedic, a nice guy, a handsome guy a hard training athlete who had a full-time job but then he's posting photographs of as you say with a stripper who was his side girl his side bit of skirt whatever you want to call it on instagram social guys rule number one if you're gonna shag around do not post pictures of you shagging around on the internet but he wants to he wants to brag because he's trying to put out a persona that I get all these women. And this these are women that are drunk or they're just into your muscles. They're not into you for your intellect or anything that you have to provide. They're not interested in, you know, I'm saying in anything more. We've, we've given relationship advice on on podcast before, right, Steve? You 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 and Rick have gone through some of this stuff on on the other podcast that you do with, with with Ricky V. And one of the things that you do as you get older, you go, you know what, right? Relationships can be messy. They can be difficult. You can argue about stuff and whatever else. But ultimately, what we're talking about here is it's kind of like an in your face infidelity and this is the reason why it's beating him on the ass a little bit especially the last couple of weeks when it all came out when other guys were coming on there and listen most of these guys are professional or former professional bodybuilders they know what it's like they know what testosterone does for you they know about the temptation i think the issue here was wasn't kind of an athlete shagging a model an athlete shagging a stripper that's kind of almost a cliche the the, the, the problem was it was kind of like so stupidly done with the with the Instagram stuff, and pretty much again. And this is based on the other podcast with by other pro, professional or former professional bodybuilders, essentially saying this is the third time this has happened. That in each of the previous times he's in a relationship, and rather than finishing with the girl, he starts shagging some other girl, and the pictures were out there for people to see. I mean, that's kind of like. I don't know whether that's the worst kind of egotistical kind of stuff where you don't give a damn and you put pictures up of your side girl on the same place that your actual girl can see. And that 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 kind of sounds fucked up. Or or you know, you're just so into this side girl at the time and you're kind of stupid in that particular way. And you and I, maybe uh, certainly me, I, I was just I, and I'm guessing you, when we were younger. We probably did stuff that we wasn't always proud of. There's probably been times in our life. But the argument that we would do this with the girl that we're with now, the long-term girl, the one that we're supposed to be in a proper relationship, it's kind of screwed up. And I certainly, for one, would not... Let's be honest. I think it's going to be one of those kind of situations that he can't really defend himself for. He's just got to say it was really stupid. I've got to apologise to my girlfriend. I've got to apologise to my wife. I've got to apologise... 100 percent not not for the end of the relationship because sometimes it happens 
but for just being, let's be blank, uh, blatantly uh, rude here, an arsehole in this situation. Like I said, relationships come and go. You can be married to someone for 50 years and then get divorced. Stuff happens. It's the way that this happened and the way that it came across. That's what the controversy was about. Not that he's had relationships or, you know, what happens on tour stays on tour. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Guys, girls included, some of our listeners are women too. We're all done stupid shit. Just don't rub the other person's face in it by posting it on, on Facebook, by posting it on Instagram. And if you are going to do this, appreciate at least it's on you and your mistake. What we quite often see with these situations that come up is where the person's like, oh, this was happening or that was happening. Motherfucker, own your shit. You screwed up. You did the stupid stuff. You posted that damn picture. on Christ, if he tagged her in, can you imagine? Ugh. So, yeah, that might suggest that sometimes the persona that we like to have, quite often we do this, when we put our heroes on a pedestal, they are as human and they make as many mistakes as the next guy. They are athletes. They are bodybuilders. They are a good example, genetically good examples of, of a human being. But it doesn't mean that they don't screw up. It doesn't mean that they don't make mistakes. And in this case, it's just they're out there publicly on Instagram, which probably bites in more in the ass than anybody else. You could get into the whole infidelity stuff in terms of, you know, how relationships are supposed to be. But again, stuff happens. I just think yeah. this example being on public social media is probably where the real bottom line mistake is for me at least yeah and then here's the thing tremblone one of the things he uses you know we can speculate what he would use in a typical right. off season to get over 300 pounds would be tremblone and why are we talking about the controversy and then talking about a steroid cycle at the same time for those who haven't used Tremblone before and those who have used Tremblone before, very, very important to understand what Tremblone does. Tremblone at these types of dosages, so we can speculate, they, these guys are running Tremblone at yeah. over 1,000 milligrams a week, over 1,000 milligrams a week. A typical dosage of Tremblone, an average dosage is 300 to 350 milligrams a week. That's a maximum average dose for your typical gym rat who's benching, you know, 350, 400 pounds and squatting 550, 600 pounds. That's, that's, that's what they're running. These guys are running four times that amount, three, four times that amount. You have to, to stay up with your competition. Trembolone not only is a physical steroid, it is also a emotional and mental steroid. So it is called the relationship killer for yeah. that reason, when I am on trend in my past, I've run trend. I have not wanted to be in relationships. I've wanted to fuck around because the effects it has on your dopamine levels, on your brain, it fires off different neurotransmitters. You will want to have a lot of different mates. Okay. It does something in your mind to make you want to have a lot of different mates. So if you are in a marriage, if you're on a, in a long-term committed relationship, you do not want to use trend. You do not. And that's, that's just as simple as, as it can be, because it will make you do things. Even if you've never cheated in your life, you're not that type of person who's ever cheated. Tremblone will make you want to experience things sexually that you have not experienced before. And that's, that's the truth. You can look online. You can look at so many, come on our forums, and you can read so many uh, where guys talk about this and women talk about how they've they married men who have used Tremblone, who've had cheated on them and stuff, it will change you um, to, to a point. So this is why we're talking about, you know, the controversy and, and, and tying it into his steroid use, because absolutely his steroid use contributed to, to his infidelity. And it will make you more prone to cheat in your situation too. So be careful. If you're in a long-term relationship and you're messing around with trends. So Momster, give us your thoughts and we'll continue with yeah. the steroid cycle. I'm going to do on the steroid thing specifically, you and I see occasionally, and there's been one in the last couple of days on the forum uh, relating to TRT and libido. 
And we know, and I've addressed this because, from, again, maybe it's because I'm an older man. Maybe that's the reason why I think the way that I think. Uh, but what we do see from time to time, and again, the majority of people on the forum are going to be male. And so we talk about libido and erections and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if I take testosterone, if I take TRT, will my erection improve? Will my libido go up and so on? And Steve and I, again, Steve's not as old as what I am, but he's not a young man. And so we talk about how your libido changes through your life. Uh, and, but we both know, both from either personal experience or from the dealing with people on the forums and answering these kind of questions, that for a lot of guys, never mind trend, which I'll address in a second, but just being on testosterone, all kinds, being on cycle of any kind of cycle, whether it's a low dose, 500 milligrams or two, three grams or more a week, it can and does affect some guys. And again, we're talking about maybe not every person, but I would say 60, 70% of guys that go on cycle will find, let's be honest, they're horny. And they're horny like when they were a teenager horny. Now, maybe they're not like that on every cycle. Maybe they're not like that on every PED. But some drugs, some cycles, and again, specifically the guys, they're more horny more often. They're more likely to chase skirt. They're more likely to flirt, even with older women. And, it, 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 and, and trend, as Steve said, is one drug, and I've mentioned this on the forum, where a study specifically said it affected the mental processes. Now, though, what we were talking about here was in older guys, I think they're all 60 plus in the study, having dementia-like symptoms as a result of the trend that they were being given for a particular medical condition they all had. So in other words, they've got this medical condition, but the study was looking at, did it affect them mentally as well as physically? So what were the side effects? And one of the side effects was the dementia-like effects on their brain, whether that was in terms of... Uh, memory or whatever else it was a one steroid that gate that was shown in a study 100 versus say another that might might not this one turned around as a trend affects you mentally and that was in guys that were 60 plus whose libido shouldn't be as much as say a 15 or an 18 or 21 year old so 100 percent there's guys out there that on on gear on cycle you're, you're already doing with the, the psyche in terms of a person's outlook about themselves, vis-a-vis -vis dysmorphia, how they see themselves physically. But when I'm on, I see myself in a more positive light. I see myself being stronger. And therefore, I feel more virile. Therefore, I feel more attractive. Therefore, I'm going to more likely to flirt and so on and so forth. And that's without getting into the mental aspects of how testosterone can make you feel as well. And specifically, as Steve said, quote, unquote, the relationship killer trend. And... So it's one of those, we talk about trend being a really bad idea for new guys, uh, really bad idea at high levels because there's a bunch of side effects, never mind this kind of stuff. And again, athletes doing stupid stuff, it's kind of a cliche that's been around since people started reporting on these things. Steve, way back in the day in newspapers, probably from 1918 till now, so over 100 years, the idea that an athlete might be screwing around is, is kind of almost a given. And for an athlete not to screw around is a kind of miracle. Uh, but again, as I said, with this particular stuff, it was the case that it was out there versus not being out there. Let's have a look at the rest of your cycle, Steve. I'll, I'll, I'll do them very quickly, and you can, you can come in at the end, <laughs> unlike normal. So we're talking about 1,250 milligrams a week of sus here. And again, that's quite a high level. Sus is actually one of my favourite drugs, and I've mentioned this a bunch of times on the forum, probably just because of how I've responded to it. Not everybody likes it, and Steve can cover that as well. But for me, it's one that I like or certainly when I've had this with Decker, it was one of my better cycles that I felt a great response to, uh, versus, for example, something that's incredibly popular with a lot of other athletes, Enfinate, or Enfate. So, I mean, this is something that I like, and the idea that he'd be using it to keep him big and full, great. I mean, I've got no arguments there. We've already said it already, the 1,200 milligrams, which would be excessive for a normal guy, normal Joe, trying to improve in the gym, 1,200 milligrams a week for a professional athlete, trying to be in the top five, top 10, maybe win the Mr. Olympia, is almost kind of a given. Uh, again, a lot of side effects, never mind the physicals we said, but the mental too. And then finally, uh, of the top three here, and we've mentioned this a bunch of times when it comes to professional bodybuilders, 800 milligrams a week of Masteron, Ma Masteron, put my teeth in. And Masteron, as I've said on previous shows, is a polisher, it is a hardener. It's one of those drugs that works when you're getting lean or already lean. And it's one of those, what we would call a, a contest polisher. 
in insofar as you start to look like a professional bodybuilder, you get that tight skin, you, you your muscles look like they're made out of rock. And if you are lean enough, you'll get that vascular, you'll start to see the separation. And Mastron is one of those drugs that will help you. Now, guys, if you're fat or if you're not properly lean, if you're not under 8%, I don't see the point of using any Mastron during that cycle. There's no excuse for saying it's the only drug I could get hold of. You can source pretty much everything these days, so that's not an excuse. You need to be lean to see the benefits of a drug like Mastron working. Steve, what about the next two, three? Yeah, so we talked about the injectables, Sustanon, which is a four-blend testosterone, Trembolone, of yeah. course, Masteron. Let's talk a little bit about orals. Now, orals added to these cycles, the, a lot of these pros, they really like taking these orals because it's not injections. You know, They get tired of doing injections all the time. So having an oral is an absolute must because you can't just, you're going to run out of places to inject. You're going to get abscesses, you're going to get oil clumps, and you're going to get all that stuff. So one of the, one of the great orals that really do a great job for you is Anadrol. And the typical dosage for a typical gym rat is 25 to 50 milligrams a day. Well, in this mm -hmm. case, he's running 150 milligrams a day. And Anadrol alone is an incredible steroid. But when you stack it with these other compounds, it is just an amazing steroid. And what makes it so amazing is that it's a DHT derivative, but it also binds to estrogen receptors. So, I mean, it's just an incredible steroid, the way it is structured. It's just a mad scientist came up with Anadrol, the way it's structured. So it is the ultimate steroid that you would use in the off season just to get size and strength. The other one is Anavar, 200 milligrams of Anavar. Now the average gym rat would run about 50 milligrams a day of Anavar. In this one, he's running 200 milligrams. This is four times that amount. Now, why is that? Well, Anavar is a very mild steroid. It's very good. There is some fat loss properties that are associated with Anavar. Some guys have reported they've actually lost fat on it, even though it doesn't directly necessarily burn fat. Steroids are not fat burners, but there's just something structurally that helps you lose fat while you're Anavar. So if he's in a bulking phase here, and this this can help him kind of keep keep some fat off. You know, it's a it's a little bit of a bro science type of situation, but a lot of pros they really really do believe that Anavar can help them burn fat even while they're putting their their bulking. And then the two chemicals that we're going to talk about: HGH being a peptide and insulin being a hormone. Very, very interesting um, with professional bodybuilding and very controversial because some bodybuilders claim that I've interviewed, they don't run insulin, but they don't deny their HGH use. But here's the thing. If you're running a high dosage of HGH, which to get three, almost 300 pounds like him, I mean, come on, you, it's going to take more than just steroid use. HGH thrown in there is going to help with that big time. So 20 IUs per day of HGH, oh my gosh, it's expensive, but HGH does some things in the body that nothing else can for you. And you know, one of the things it does, it splits and grows cells. Anabolic steroids do not split cells. So that's the advantage HGH have. The problem is an average Joe only will run two IUs a day, maybe three IUs, and that's pushing it. If you use real HGH, three IUs, you should start feeling side effects like carpal tunnel, maybe even water retention, maybe some, you know, some, um, some blood sugar issues, but he's running 20 IUs per day. So when you run that much HGH, your blood sugar is going to go up. So to bring that blood sugar back down and get that partitioning effect, they'll throw an insulin before their meals. So they'll throw an insulin before their meals, they'll eat their meal. They'll be better able to absorb that meal and take more advantage of it. There's a little, little bit of a bro science behind saying you'll absorb more of it. But what, what, I'm, what I mean is the nutrition partitioning effects of the HGH with the insulin is like peanut butter and jelly. It just goes together perfectly. And it makes that meal that you eat 
more effective than if you weren't running the HGH and insulin. So I hope that makes sense. And this is the type of cycle these pros who are in bulking in the off-season would, would run. So we're talking about the Sustenin, the Trembolone, the Masteron, the Anadrol, the Anavar, the HGH, and insulin. You're talking about three injectables, two orals, and then the HGH and the insulin. So Mobster, tell us your thoughts, finish out the show, and take us into the disclaimer. Quick one on the insulin thing. It occurs to me, and I mentioned this earlier on when we were talking about the, the intra-workout nutrition. Milos Sarsev is uh, the mind, is a famous uh, former professional bodybuilder himself, coach now, and someone who uh, pretty much, if, if he wasn't the only one, he was certainly one of the very early guys that was talking about the uh, intra-workout slash insulin protocol. And without getting into specifics, because I'm no expert in that particular area, the long and the short of it was, I mean, Milos's example would be giant sets. He had three or four athletes at one point, all working together, doing giant sets of typically four or five movements before you'd have a rest. So four or five different exercises for shoulders, for example. He had them, uh, I believe he was one of the guys that was having people consume applesauce during the workout. Uh, and, and again, as I said, the guys are coming up with different versions of some sort of a carbohydrate product which we mentioned earlier on with regards to the carbs and the amino acids. And this was as a result of the idea that he was manipulating uh, insulin, either pre or post workout, together with this carbohydrate nutrition, this, this loading of the glycogen into the muscle cells, and at the same time depleting them of glycogen with the giant sets and so on and so forth. In other words, the argument was that he was trying to get the most anabolic uh, response possible by manipulating the body with insulin use, with depletion, with loading, and so on and so forth. But again, what we're talking about here, guys, is if you're a typical Joe or even a semi-amateur kind of physique type person, you really don't need to go to these particular places. If you are, however, as Steve obviously is, a top level, especially in his time, he's won the Arnold Classic, for example, a top, top level elite top 100, top 200 bodybuilder in the world, just for that physical response, how you respond, how lean you are, including, as we're talking about here with his PED use in the off season, you're still going to be lean compared to the average Joe. Your genetic response, your response to training, your response to nutrition is going to be better. And we've talked about this before. That includes your response to PEDs, including drugs like insulin. Most guys, and we've, we've touched on this in the past, and we mentioned it on the forums, most guys fuck up with insulin. In the same way with DMP, as dangerous as it is, the opportunities for screwing up on insulin are high. But specifically here, the idea that an amateur average genetics type person would use insulin and get the same sort of response as a top professional bodybuilder who's got someone guiding them through the specifics of a protocol, it's unlikely that you're going to develop a freak type physique because you decided to use insulin. And then, of course, as Steve says, we'll, we'll look at the numbers, whether it's 20 IUs a day of HGH versus two to three, two and a half IUs is a good number per day if you are going to use it. Uh, can you afford to run it long enough? Are you using insulin properly? Do you have supervision? Is there someone on hand who knows what to do if you screw up? Have you depleted? Have you loaded? Did you follow the protocol to the letter? Did you do exactly what you're supposed to do? Or if you didn't, Here's the problem for you. And again, what happens typically, I mean, Steve and I have both seen this with guys that we know that are in the gym and that are using insulin. They don't look any better after. You wouldn't know that they were on insulin. You wouldn't see that they were getting a response. But guys like Steve and other professional body was hot there. We can see from the history of the sport alone when insulin came in, when growth hormone came into the sport, we saw the difference to their physique. We know that they are high responders to this kind of stuff. And that's the reason why they can do stuff like 20 IUs a day of insulin, sorry, of growth, 10 IUs of insulin and so on. And again, this is probably not even excessive. Steve and I have done podcasts where we talk about the death cycles and some of the numbers there would double or triple these, but it's not double or triple that much better of a bodybuilder. Right, in terms of the overall view, Steve is a top, professional bodybuilder with great genetics but he's kind of done a schoolboy error when it comes to this relationship stuff 
It's not for us to tell him how to live his life any more than any of the other pundits doing podcasts. But we comment on these things and it's kind of schoolboy error stuff. We understand how athletes are. We've been there, we've seen there, we've done it. That includes the professionals and ex-professional bodybuilders doing other podcasts. They kind of know, they've lived some aspect of this lifestyle. They kind of know what happens. And I, I used the analogy earlier on, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Schoolboy areas posting stuff on your social media, kind of like you don't care. That, that's foolish right there. And it's insulting. If you are at the end of a relationship with one person, and we're going to, I'm going to use the obvious to say, with a woman as a fella, as a man, don't be some kind of prick and post your shit so that you're kind of rubbing her face in it, man, because that's just, it's just not right. You don't have to be religious or political or asexual or whatever. It's just a bad thing to do. It's just not nice. And it's one of those things that if you guys, again, the majority of our listeners are fellas, some women as well, is if it's ever happened to you, you'll just know how bad that feels. So it's don't do it. If you're going to finish a relationship, finish a relationship. If you're moving on, move on. But be a person that gets that stuff out there with the person you're in a relationship with or supposed to be in a relationship with before you do that. So, yeah, it didn't do him any favours. The community kind of rose up. No one said he's a bad bodybuilder or a bad athlete, but we all said it was not. <laughs> he didn't get any thumbs up. He didn't get any pats on the back. He didn't get any kudos, whatever else. Right. I'll jump. If there's anything else, Steve, I'll jump into the disclaimer. We are. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So please don't, guys. We're not doctors, and the opinions are ours, especially when it comes to relationships. It's our view, and it's based on our experience and views on the topic. Our podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment. <laughs>